0: And pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast bringing you true crime from around the world. Hi, Islanders. I hope all is well. Now, last week's case was really crazy in that the victim had been stalked unknowingly for years by a creepy neighbour. This week, we have a case where extreme jealousy will cause a new bride to lose her life, but it would take 23 years for justice to prevail. Now, references tonight are from the LA Times, the Desert Sun, the Auburn Journal, the Pittsburgh Press, police interview transcripts, and court records. So tonight we go to Van Nuys, California. It's February the 24th, 1986. 27-year-old John Rutten would come home to find his new wife, 29-year-old Sherry Rasmussen, beaten to death in their home. Now, John, at six foot three and very athletic, had come home from his engineering job at Micropolis. Now, that was a hard drive manufacturing company just 20 minutes down the road. Now, he found that the garage door of their townhouse was open and Sherry Silver 1985 Model 318i two-door BMW wasn't inside. Now, this at first confused John. He thought maybe Sherry had backed into the door and damaged it or something like that or damaged the car. She had knocked the mirror off previously. Now, she would normally not leave it open. Then John sees broken glass that shattered from the sliding door at the front of the house. The condo block. Now, this this was gated off. And was made up of a series of townhouses surrounding a pool area on 7100 Balboa Boulevard, Van Nuys, California. Now, it was reasonably new. It was built in 1980 and Sherry and John lived in Unit 205. Now, with John at six foot three, Sherry Rasmussen, she was only a couple of inches shorter than John. She was about six foot. Now, Sherry, she came from a loving, close family. Nels and Loretta, her parents, and her two sisters, Teresa and Connie, well, they'd all grown up together in Tucson, Arizona. Now, Sherry was talented. She was an intelligent student, and this allowed her to skip a year ahead in seventh grade. Now, Sherry was always the peacemaker of the family, being able to calm everyone down if things got a little bit heated. She would follow her sister Connie, who was three years older than her, to Thunderbird Adventist Academy, but would only be two years behind because she'd skipped that seventh year. Sherry was pretty religious, or pious maybe, and she was very serious when it came to her schooling. However, she would sneak out of the dorms at night with her friends to go into town to grab some Tasty Freeze ice cream. Now, Sherry would then go to graduate in nursing from Loma Linda University. By the age of 20, Sherry was a nurse, and at the age of just 27, she was named Director of Critical Care Nursing at Glendale Adventist Medical Centre. And she would also hold some lectures there as well. Now, Sherry was kind-hearted and wouldn't do anything for anyone. Her mum Loretta said she liked taking care of people and making sure things were done right, that people were cared for properly. And her dad said that Sherry had told him that I'm going to elevate the stature of nursing in the nation, and she was on her way. Now, John Rutten, John, well, John and Sherry, they met in June of 1984 at a party and they quickly became a couple. In May 1985, they got engaged and John bought Sherry that silver 85 model 318i two-door BMW as an engagement gift. They were married on November the 23rd, 1985. Now, John and Sherry, they were in love and looking forward to a long and exciting future together. Things were just perfect. Well, almost, but we'll get to that a little bit later on. So it's February the 24th, 1986, at 7.20am, John leaves for work, but Sherry decides she's going to chuck a sickie and stay home. John would make several unanswered calls during the the day, as would others, but he thought nothing of it. At 5.55pm, John returns from work to see the garage door of the townhouse left open, as I said before, and Sherry's BMW's not there. He gets out of his car, he notices shattered glass on the ground. The door from the townhouse to the garage, which John had closed and locked when he left that morning, that was ajar. So it's a two-storey place. Underneath is where you park the cars and there's a door going in from the garage into the the ground floor, I'd say, of the house. Then you've got stairs that go upstairs, to living areas and all that. Now... When he entered, he saw Sherry. She was lying dead on the living room floor, still wearing her sleep shirt, her robe and panties. For a split second, he wondered why Sherry was lying on the floor. But then he saw her bloody nose and half-closed eyes, and one of the eyelids was swollen shut. They'd only been married for three months. There was blood all over the carpet. There was turned over chairs and fragments of smashed vase. There'd been a struggle and Sherry, she's six foot, she's athletic, but she'd suffered blows to the head and she also had suffered multiple gunshot wounds. When police got to the scene at 6.08pm, they found Sherry on her back with her knees bent. There were three gunshot wounds to her chest. One was a contact wound and at least one was inflicted while she was lying on the floor or against a similar hard surface. There were abrasions on Sherry's arms near the wrist consistent with injury from a rope or a cord. There were signs that she had struggled with her assailant including multiple contusions, lacerations and abrasions on her hands, mouth, face, head and neck. Broken pieces of two of Sherry's fingernails were found on the floor near the front door. An injury on her face was consistent with a blow from the muzzle of a gun, with a size and configuration matching a .38 caliber Smith & Wesson revolver. Now, there was a blow to her head consistent with a broken vase found near her body. On Sherry's left inner forearm was an apparent bite mark. Now, based on the amount of hemorrhaging and the absence of inflammation, it was determined that the injury had been inflicted at or about the time of Sherry's death. Now, bullets recovered in or near Sherry's body were .38J plus P ammunition, manufactured by Federal. In 1986, LAPD officers were required to use Federal .38J plus P ammunition, even when off-duty and carrying a personal weapon. Now, John was questioned and quickly cleared of any involvement in Sherry's murder. There was stereo equipment stacked up at the top of the stairs and a drawer full of papers had been taken out and emptied on the floor. Now, the only thing that seemed to be missing in the house was John and Sherry's marriage certificate. Now, that's a little bit weird, but... It'll make sense as the story goes on. Now, to police, this looked like a burglary gone wrong and the perpetrators had fled the scene in the victim's car. That's why the BMW was missing. Now, 11 days later, on March the 7th, 1986, the police found Sherry's BMW abandoned in a street in Van Nuys about two and a half miles away. The keys were in the ignition and no parts were stripped from the car. Now, LAPD evidence technicians collected samples of apparent blood from around the ignition and interior driver's door handle and five fingerprints from the seatbelt connector and the driver's and passenger's window. Now, at around 9.30am on the morning of the incident, a neighbour went by Sherry's garage and saw the door open and there's no cars inside. At around 4.40pm that afternoon, two gardeners brought that same neighbour a purse they found on the grounds of the complex. Now that was Sherry's wallet and driver's licence. Then also a maid cleaning a unit in the complex said she heard something that sounded like two people fighting. And then something falling at around 12.30pm. But she didn't call police. I wonder why you think you would. Now, there'd been similar robberies in the area at the time. In fact, one where two reported suspects had been carrying what was thought to be a .38 calibre gun, the same type as believed to be used in Sherry's murder. Now, with with the police in the middle of a crack epidemic and the violence that goes with crackheads, drugs and dealers... This sort of pushed the investigation of Sherry's murder to the side somewhat, convinced it was a burglary gone wrong. Now, Nels and Loretta Rasmussen, they were a little bit pissed off with the way police were focusing in on it being a botched robbery, and they put forward that they should investigate one of John Rutten's former lovers, a woman named Stephanie Lazarus, Why? Because Stephanie Lazarus had been causing quite a few problems with John and Sherry ever since she found out they were engaged. But there's this thing about Lazarus. She's a cop. Now, we'll talk more about Lazarus soon, but she was spoken to by investigators. Not that I can find any transcript of any official interview, but she was pretty much ruled out as a suspect. The cops were sure Sherry was killed by intruders, probably Hispanic, Latino, whatever. It couldn't be one of their own. And then the case goes cold. Now, Nels and Loretta Rasmussen, they don't let up and they try to keep the case in the news. And in October of 1986, they offered a $10,000 reward. Now, in the media release announcing the reward, police still were focusing in on the perpetrators being two burglars, citing another case that happened two months after Sherry was murdered, where two Le- Latino men, one five foot four and the other five foot six, where they pointed a gun at a woman during a break-in not far from John and Sherry's condo. Now, John Rutten, he would eventually leave his job and move out of the area. In 1993, as DNA testing was becoming a powerful tool for investigating crimes, Nels offered to pay for evidence to be tested, but he was told unless there was a suspect, they couldn't test anything. Now, I think that's the one thing that DNA testing does. It finds criminals who may already be in a DNA database but not currently suspected of any crimes. You find them that way. Anyway, again, the Rasmussen family went away empty-handed. But then in the late 90s, a new unit formed by the LAPD, they were tasked to go over cold cases to see if any of them had evidence that may May be able to be tested with the latest DNA techniques. Now, Sherry's file would be looked at in 2004, and DNA testing, <laughs> I'll say that, DNA testing of the saliva from the bite mark on her arm didn't match anyone in the database, but it did come up as something a little bit strange. It was DNA from a female. Now, the woman who tested the sample, her name was Jennifer Francis. She thought that as the bite mark was from a female, then the original theory that two burglars murdered Sherry must now be highly in doubt. Now, Jennifer had access to the complete file and she found that there had been a female harassing Sherry before she was murdered. When Jennifer brought this up with her superiors, that they told her that the woman that had allegedly harassed Sherry was an LAPD detective and that she had nothing to do with it. So the file went back on the shelf and I can now start to feel the rage building. So now we get to 2009 and a couple of detectives, Jim Nuttle and Pete Barber, they reviewed Sherry's file again. Now, this time they took a whole fresh look at the case. Okay, so now they had a bite mark from a female, and then when taking a big picture look at all the evidence, they found that the burglary theory just didn't fit at all. I mean, the condo complex was very well secured with gated access only. Now, this event happened during the day, which made it less likely to be a burglary. I mean, you can see people coming in and out of the house. Nothing was missing except for John and Sherry's marriage certificate, There was a jewellery box in plain sight on Sherry's dressing table. That was untouched. Now, there was a warning sticker on the front door as well indicated these premises are alarmed and there was no sign of forced entry. Although there were signs of a struggle, it did look like the scene had been staged to make it look like a robbery gone wrong with the stereo equipment stacked up at the top of the stairs on the top floor. Now, Nuttall and Barber, they thought... This must have, well, it would have been knocked over in the fight, not stepped over, and surely the attackers wouldn't have stacked it up after killing Sherry and then not bothered to take it with them. There was a bloody thumbprint on the stereo player. Now, that did indicate that the perp was wearing gloves and the blood was Sherry's. So the stereo equipment had been placed there after her death. This scene was seen, this scene this scene was staged. The perp knew to be careful not to leave Prince. They were pretty calm at what they were doing, they were calm, collected, and they seemed to know what to do. So Nodal and Barber found that there were five female suspects and three of them were quickly dismissed. There were the other two suspects. Now one of them was dismissed after her DNA was gathered without her knowing. And this left just one suspect. That's Stephanie Lazarus. But they would have to keep this investigation, uh, this investigation of her super, super secret. Not only was she a cop, so was her husband. And she'd made her way up the ranks in her 25 years in the force. So, who is this ex-lover of John Rutten, Stephanie Lazarus. In 1986, Lazarus was an LAPD police officer in the Devonshire Division. So in 1982, Lazarus graduated from UCLA with a bachelor's degree in political science and sociology. In September 83, she entered the Los Angeles Police Department Academy and graduated in March of 1984. In 1986, when, she, when Sherry was murdered, Lazarus was an LA police officer in the Devonshire Division. I just said that. In 1996, she married LAPD officer Scott Young. Now, they desperately wanted a child and they would end up adopting a daughter. Lazarus rose through the ranks and by 1997 reached the level of Detective 2, a position that included supervision of other detectives within the LAPD. From January 2006 until June the 5th, 2009, which is an important date, Lazarus was assigned to the Commercial Crimes Division Art Theft Detail and became an expert in the recovery of stolen fine art. She'd take a few holidays to Italy and go around the art galleries as well. She loved it. During her 26 years with the LAPD, Lazarus received multiple commendations for her work, such as making an enormous contribution to an anti-drug program for school children being a tremendous asset to her team and someone with strong moral values and honest both in her character and work. Yeah. In 1998, Lazarus was named the Outstanding Detective of the Year for the Van Nuys division of the LAPD. In 2003, she received the same award for the Devonshire division. Her LAPD personal record contained no allegations of excessive force or improper conduct as an officer. Now, those who'd known Lazarus for decades, including fellow officers, said she was a non violent person. Lazarus. At one stage ran a private investigation firm on the side called Unique Investigations. Now here she offered free photographing and fingerprinting of children as part of a protection kit for parents. That's so nice. Now Brian McCartin, who I said that right, Brian McCartin, who attended the academy with Lazarus, described her as the strongest, most aggressive, most persistent fighter of the women in his class. Michael Hargraves, Lazarus's friend and former roommate and a former police officer, he described her fitness level as outstanding and her level of strength with respect to other women as superior. Hargrave also said that Lazarus was an expert level shooter. Now sometime between 1985 and 1987, Lazarus showed her friend and fellow officer Jamie Weaver lock-picking tools and told Weaver she'd learned how to use them. In 1986, when Sherry was murdered, it was common practice for LAPD officers to carry a backup weapon in addition to the weapon issued to them by the department. Officers were expected to let the LAPD armory know when they purchased a backup weapon and they were permitted to carry only guns that could be used with the Federal 0.38 0.38 J plus P bullets. Now records from the armorer's office indicated that on February 29 1984 Lazarus purchased a 0.38 caliber Smith and Wesson model 49 revolver. It was a five shot model its barrel was approximately two inches long. The bullets found at the crime scene were these federal 0.38 J plus P bullets. Now On March the 9th, 1986, less than two weeks after Sherry's death, Lazarus reported to the Santa Monica Police Department, not her own, that her Smith & Wesson Model 49 revolver had been stolen from the glove compartment of her car while parked in Santa Monica. Now Hargraves, Lazarus' former roommate, he recalled Lazarus telling him she'd lost a revolver a few days earlier in Santa Monica while carrying it in a bag or a fanny pack. She asked him how to go about reporting it. When Lazarus reported his gun stolen in Santa Monica, she told the officer at the front desk it had been stolen that day. Now, there was no record indicating Lazarus had reported the theft to the LAPD Armourer. She did, however, report to the Armourer buying another gun, a different model, on March 19, 1986. So, she has a gun, the same as what was probably used to smash the face of Cherry, used the same rounds as she was required to use as part of her job, and the gun goes missing. But she lies about when it's gone missing, and she doesn't report it missing to her own department. She goes to another department to report it missing. So, Nuttall and Barber set about covertly getting a sample of Lazarus's DNA. Now, they end up getting very lucky. They got a sample of her DNA by getting a drink cup and straw that she chucked away. Boom, fuckalunga. Stephanie Lazarus's DNA matched that from the survivor sample taken from the bite mark on Sherry's arm. So they had to make a plan to get Lazarus in custody without tipping her off or tipping anyone else off who might then tell her. I mean, her hubby, Scott Young, he worked as a detective in the San Fernando Valley. Lazarus had got to work early on the morning of June the 5th, 2009, got there around 6.40 a.m., and had been sitting in her third floor office. Detective Daniel Jaramillo, Haramillo, I'm sure that's how you say it, Haramillo from the LAPD Robbery Homicide Division, approached Lazarus and told her that a suspect in custody in the jail, which is just downstairs, might have information on one of her art theft cases. She immediately left with Haramillo to check on the suspect but she'd have to give up her gun at the front desk as this was jail policy. Now, when disarmed, she's taken to a small room where Detective Greg Stearns was waiting. Now, this is where the, where the video I'll put up on my YouTube site begins with Lazarus chatting away with detectives. So go to True Crime Island on YouTube and have a look at this either now or later. After a couple of minutes of small talk, cop talk, Haramilo tells Lazarus that they aren't there to talk art thefts. Rather, they want to talk to her about her former lover, John Rutten, and they use the ruse of the art theft so as not to embarrass her in front of the other officers, her workmates up in her office. For the next hour, Lazarus is very vague in her answers to how well she knew John, what sort of relationship they had, if she'd ever met Sherry or knew of her. Her answers were very vague, but the detectives started to ask more specific questions, like did you ever confront or have a fight with Sherry? Now, Lazarus, she keeps answering that maybe she did or not, can't remember, it's so long ago, all this, and the detectives push back, saying it would be pretty hard to forget some of these things they're asking her about. Also, you've got to have a look at, if you do look at the video, the facial expression she makes without the interview. It's probably some of the worst acting you'll see ever. Now, I'll just chuck in a couple of minutes now of the interview. These are a couple of little clips joined together just So you can get a little bit of ID.
1: We've been assigned a case that we've been looking at. Okay. Okay. It's a new case, and revealing the case, there's some notes uh, to see as far as your name being mentioned. Oh, okay. Do you know John Rutten?
2: John Rutten? John Rutten.
1: Rutten. Rutten. Oh,
2: yeah, I went to school with him. You did? Yeah. How
1: long did you know him?
2: Gosh, I went to school in, um, let's see, went to UCLA in 19. 78 I started and, um, you know, met him at school, at the dorms. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: were you guys friends, close friends? Yeah,
2: we were very close friends. I mean, yeah. I mean, what's this all about?
1: Well, it's regarding, it's a case we're working on, and it involves John, and in there, some of the statements we, we reviewed, uh, you know, there's notes and stuff that he, that he knew you and stuff. Oh,
2: yeah, I mean, we good friends, Um, lived in the dorms for, I lived in the dorms for two years. Um,
1: you guys lived in the same dorm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, Dijkstra. Okay. Were you guys just friends, or anything else, or?
2: Yeah, we were. We were good friends.
1: Yeah. Was there any relationship or anything that developed between you guys?
2: Yeah, I mean, we dated. Uh huh. You know, um, I mean, is wh- what's this all about?
1: Well, it's relating to uh, his wife. Okay. Okay. Did you know her?
2: Not really. I mean, I knew that he got married years ago.
1: Uh-huh. Did you ever meet her?
2: God, I don't know. Um
1: Do you know who she was or anything?
2: Well, I let me think. God, it's been a long time ago. Um mm-hmm. Um I I may have met her. Um Jeez. You know.
1: Yeah. Had okay. you ever
2: met his wife? I may have.
1: Do you know Do you remember her name or anything or
2: um.
1: Um. Or what she did for a living, or where she worked, or anything uh, about her.
2: Well, I think she. I. Th- I'm gonna say that I think she was a nurse. Um. And I can't even remember how he. He said he met her. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean. I. I. Yeah. I mean. It's been so long ago.
1: Well, let me ask you. Did you go to their wedding? You
2: know. No, I didn't go to their wedding. Um. No, I don't. Did not go to their wedding. I um, couldn't even tell you what year he got married I mean you know it's it's been a million years ago you know I, I don't understand why you're talking about some guy I dated a million years ago well do
1: you know what happened to his wife
2: yeah I know she got killed
1: what did, um, you, what did you hear about that
2: I, I saw a poster at work um, I'm sure I spoke to him about it um, I think I spoke to another friend of his about it um,
1: and how did, how did you first learn about that
2: Jeez, <laughs> someone could have called me. I could have heard it at work. <laughs> she acts like she hardly remembers
0: him and is really vague about his wife. Oh, and the, and the bit about the wedding, if she was there. Right, I'm pretty sure she was somewhere there watching it all go down the line, bit. Anyway, Lazarus had been told she could leave at any time and being a detective herself... She should have known just to shut the fuck up or lawyer up as well. But she just kept vaguely stumbling through answers until it was pretty clear that these detectives were pretty sure she'd killed Sherry. Now Lazarus finally asks, she says that she feels uncomfortable with the questioning and asked if she needed a lawyer. She then gets up to leave, but when she walks out of the room, she's intercepted by another couple of detectives and she is arrested uh, formally for the murder of Sherry Rasmussen. Then she was brought back into the room in handcuffs and this is where the YouTube video ends. But there is a transcript you can read. Now, all that's left for the next bit in this transcript before they take her downtown to book her into the jail, it's just more small talk again and it's sort of like cop talk, as if she's in total denial that she's just been arrested for murder and she's just chatting around with the cops in the room. Now, at one point when Lazarus is getting his stuff put in a prison bag, you know, they just take everything out of her pockets, they're going to chuck it in a big bag so that they can lock it up when she goes to prison, she couldn't get her wedding ring off. Then one of the cops in the room says, "'Spit on your finger!' Saliva does wonders. (laughs) I guess that's a cop DNA joke. Okay, so a place is searched and they uncover diaries that cover the period when she was with John Rutten and when he met Sherry, got engaged and married. Now Lazarus would be found to be quite the bunny boiler and even though she'd risen up through the force with many awards and achievements she was secretly called Spazarus behind her back as she would go off when she was frustrated or angry with these wild crazy eyes. She often stalked John and noted it in this diary. Lazarus' home computers were analysed by a computer expert who determined that she'd performed searches of Rutten's name in April 1998, May 1999 and December 1999, so she still hadn't gone over, got over John years after Sherry's death. When she heard of John and Sherry getting married way back in 85, it did catch her off guard and she called John in tears and begged for him to come and see her. Now, stupid John, he did go to Lazarus's condo and they smashed with John telling her that it would be the last time that they were, were going to fuck and that he left thinking that would make her feel better. Come on, John, you think that much of yourself that you think bonking her for one last time would be such an amazing life experience that you could calm the of the fuck down. Now, I don't want to be too harsh on John as he did lose his wife, but he did bring on the bunny boiling to a certain extent. Now, he reckons he did confess to Sherry about having boned Lazarus, but I feel Lazarus probably got straight on the phone to Sherry and let her know. Regardless, Sherry did forgive John and they went on to get married. Now, Lazarus had also turned up at the Glendale Adventist Hospital where Sherry worked and allegedly threatened her. And she said, If I can't have John, nobody else will. Now, it would be found that not only did Lazarus confront Sherry at her work over John, but she also broke into their home and waited for her to come home. This is waited for Sherry to come home and confronted her there and then in her police uniform. I mean... What the fuck? Lazarus, she also threatened Sherry over the phone a couple of days before she was murdered. Now, Sherry's father, Nels, had told detectives way back in 1986 about all these incidents with Lazarus, but he was told he's been watching too much TV, too many cop shows, and his concerns were totally disregarded. Now, this is where I think the cops, they just didn't want to investigate one of their own. It was easier to just pin the crime on some mythical Latino that they'd never find and just leave it as that. At the time, there really wasn't that much evidence at all. That was until the technology to test for DNA was more readily available. Now, Lazarus was 49 at the time of her arrest. She was 26 when Sherry was murdered. And as the facts of the case came out, it seemed as though Lazarus just didn't knock on the door that morning she just didn't knock, kill Sherry, steal a car and dump it up the road. She may have tied Sherry up. Then she may have tortured her, probably screaming at her to tell her where the marriage certificate was. She bludgeoned Sherry across her head with a vase that John had bought her as a three-month wedding gift, smashing it across her head in pieces. After she'd tortured her, she shot her three times in the chest with a couple of the shots hitting her while she was on her back on the ground. A couple of other shots had missed, and one of them had shattered a sliding glass door. Now, that was the glass that John had seen when he got home. Now, whatever happened that day, Lazarus brutally murdered a young, innocent person that had given so much to society and had the potential to give so much more. She not only stole from her her friends and family, but also from her loving husband. As she said, "'If I can't have John,' Nobody else will. Well, John did find another partner, and sadly, Scott Young, he found Stephanie Lazarus. Now, Lazarus would be found guilty of murder in the first degree of Sherry Rasmussen and was sentenced to 27 years to life. Lazarus is doing a time at the Central California Women's Facility. She'll be eligible for parole in 2039. Now, prosecutors said after the trial... Lazarus misused the police training in the most profound way imaginable by utilising that training and experience to commit murder and to cover up the crime. Lazarus betrayed the trust placed in her by Los Angeles Police Department and by people of Los Angeles in order to pursue her own murderous ends. Lazarus' profound narcissism led her to kill and continues to motivate her denial of responsibility. Now, just a side note. John Rutten saw Lazarus in 1989, three years after Sherry's murder. This was it when she was. they were both in Hawaii on vacation with other people. Now, he saw her two or three times afterwards, and they bonked. But they never became involved in a relationship. They were just occasional fuck buddies. That's really creepy. So what do you think, Islanders? 23 years is a long time to not get caught. Do you think that Lazarus was watching over her shoulder, dreading the day she might get busted? Or do you just think that after a while when the case went cold, she really just didn't worry about it at all? I'd just call her the C-word, but people get upset when I use that, even though it's an Aussie thing to say. Okay, so that's about it. What a crazy case. Jeez, 23 years to not get busted. I'm thinking it was pretty much LAPD, maybe not so much their incompetence. I just don't think back in the day they wanted to investigate one of their own. It was best to just chuck it in a cold case file, stick it on the shelf. So that's the end of another show. Now I'd like to thank all my past and present patrons for their support of the show. It really does help me out with all the bills, especially being commercial free. Thanks to Shelly Bazana and Neil Buchanan for helping out. It's really appreciated. Boom fuckalunga, thank you so much. If you want to give a dollar a month, go to patreon.com forward slash true crime island and join the gang. Or if you just want to shout me a beer, you can donate to paypal.me forward slash true crime island. Now, we know times are tough, but, you know, give a little if you can. Don't forget to check out my YouTube channel. I'll post companion videos up there of police interviews or anything relevant like that when I have access to them. It will have to be copyright-free stuff. Or check out my website, truecrimeisland.com, where you can stream each episode if you don't want to use iTunes or a pod player, and I have links to merch, social media there as well. Also, you can email me if you want to get in touch, and it is the best way. Well, that's about it. I've been your host, Cambo. You've been listening to True Crime Island. And as I always say, don't forget to delete your browser history right.